Good to have everybody. I'm Nate, I'm Brian, and uh, there's Pastor. Pastor in Patel. Pastor Brian's a full time job. Pray for me. <laughs> thankful for the day. He asked me if I'd come today to talk about prayer. I don't pray as much as my wife, so she's going to share in a moment. <laughs> and how many have found prayer kind of difficult to do, and you always feel bad about it? Isn't that the story of it? I remember I got saved when I was almost six, when I was 16. When I was 17, I went off to Bible college. And the first thing I got invited to was an all-night prayer meeting. It was like a marathon. I was done in like 30 seconds. And nothing else to pray for. We were there all night. Uh, I dozed off for a while. Probably about 1.30 I slept back to my dorm room. I, I, just, I just couldn't believe people could pray all night. And we studied all the old guys that prayed and Whitfield and Wesley and all those guys that got up in the three in the morning to pray. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just, oh my gosh. Somebody gave me a book by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill who said if you wanted to be a pastor and you didn't pray for three hours a day, you weren't worth anything. I was feeling really good about my prayer life. <laughs> so up until then, my prayer life consisted of praying when I was super in trouble and it wasn't intentional. You're giving me a mic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anything in life that's worthwhile has to be intentional. You will never accidentally pray. You'll never accidentally find yourself praying. The first time that I remember praying, really praying, I was probably eight or nine years old. I was upstairs locked in a, in a bathroom we had upstairs, and my mom and dad were downstairs just beating the AT double hockey sticks out of each other. And I was just praying, and I really felt for the first time that I connected with God. Didn't know, we didn't go to church hardly at all. Didn't find Christ till later in life, and I remember that they stopped, and it got quiet in the house, and I went to bed, remembering, wow, prayer worked. Did it a couple other times, and they didn't stop, so then I decided they weren't listening to God or whatever, but prayer does work. But I don't think God wanted us to live our lives in condemnation because we don't talk to him enough. I think that we've kind of designed prayer to be something that is a little difficult. And over a decade ago in my life, I, I started praying in a different way that helped me to pray because I'm a little ADD, okay? How many of you are a little ADD? Some of you didn't raise your hand because you're not even paying attention. Right? <laughs> I'm already looking down and reading that thing I just gave you. So praying for long periods of time or concentrating for long periods of time can be a challenge. Literally, I have a challenge for that. And so I found myself praying, and, and then I, I noticed at college, guys allowed themselves to walk around and pray, or pace and pray. I was like, thank goodness I can do something while I pray. And so I do walk and pray and, and all of that. But what I wanted to do is share with you some of the ways in this last decade, thank you, some of the ways in this last decade, I gotta really crank that thing up a little bit. I feel like I'm married to it. All right, there you go. Thank you. This guy's a servant. I'm in charge of this whole thing. Thank you. That's awesome. Good job. 
Thank God for good leadership. Appreciate you. you said that. See how fast you are? <laughs> what you're involved in doing is the greatest evangelical force on the earth or in Christianity is helping young people find Christ. Every year, the Barner Research Group that your leader quoted tells us every year after 18, the probability of somebody coming to Christ drops. That 80% of everybody that knows Jesus found Jesus before they were 18 years old. You are the evangelical force of the church today. And without you guys doing what you do, the church is doomed on every level. Young Life, Campus Crusade, the local church, we have got to reach children and students for Christ. Your focus is that, and prayer helps and makes things happen that could never happen before. And so, you were prayed for, that's why you're here. How many of you leaders, part of your life is, is praying? Praying for the students you're reaching out. And with this morning, we prayed over your books, we prayed for faces. As I said in the room, I prayed for the leaders that were praying for people because I know we need great leaders to do that. And so don't underestimate praying, not just an intercession, but spending time with God just for you. Because God is going, as your ministry, God is gonna to minister to you and transform your life. So prayers can be tough. But through Christ, we have access to God who changes us from the inside out. What was taught last night, and I was listening super close, as she got into the Greek and did a, a marvelous job at connecting to know our purpose, to know the Logos, not just in our head, but in our life and heart. So the prayer of the life of the leader is so important. Look at those first bullet points. You can't give what you don't have. You can show up and you can have activity. The foundational purpose of young life is not just for activity, but to bridge relationships to help young people come to Christ. Prayer in the life of a leader is so important so you can know God more and know his heart. So you can become more like Jesus before you become a, an amazing club leader or an amazing leader of any kind. First and foremost, we are called to be followers of Christ. We need to be filled with more of his love. Working with people can, can really drain you sometimes, can it? You can feel exhausted, wiped out at our church. We have three weekend services. I go home Sunday afternoon. I'm, I'm exhausted. All I want to do is play Halo and just like prom guy senseless on TV. But like I've told Wendy, it's not real killing. They're robots and everybody spawns. Nobody dies. So it's... It can drain you, and if you don't spend time in the Father's love, you won't have any love to give. And you know you cannot mess with a young person, a student, because they will detect whether they are truly authentically loved or whether they're not. And the only way that has happened is you spending time with the Father. So we have that portion of scripture there I put in Mark, where Jesus, it's one of my favorite parts, because Jesus gets a little angry, right? He starts, uh, Kind of, kind of goes on and starts turning tables over. Have you ever seen that happen? My mom did it once in our house. It was amazing. We never had family dinner together, but we were in one of those crisis moments, and so the law was laid down. You're coming home from work. You're not going to the bar. You guys are coming 
and we never did that, and so it was pretty weird. But we did that, we sat down, mom, mom is upset about something, you know, dad is not talking, normal. Talks like crazy now. But back then he didn't talk, his mom was throwing food on the table, and it was me and my brother at that point, my other three half-brothers and sisters had moved out. And my brother was always great at saying the wrong thing at the exact wrong time. He's perfect at it. And it, it, it always upset everybody. So she's throwing food on the table and she sits down and, and she says, uh, so how's your dinner? And my, I'm like, delicious. This is the best family I've ever had. And I'm a little bit more of a peacemaker. I was the youngest of five. My brother's like, I don't know. It seems kind of cold. My mom went Jesus on us. She stood up, grabbed the side of that table and flipped it on our laps. Hey, don't, don't judge my mom. We were terrible. <laughs> my dad grabbed his plate and held it up as the table flipped on his head. He walked to the TV where he usually ate, looked back at us to clean up this mess. Mom went to the bedroom and didn't see her for like two days. But she arrived, Jesus here, we have him knocking over tables. He entered Jerusalem and he was mad and they were exchanging money. And I'm not going to give you the full background. There are three types of money. In Palestine in that area, some was only used in the temple, and, and they were gouging people, charging a fee, making money of that, and it hacked Jesus off because it was in the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles were allowed to worship, and he went out there, and he turned it over, and he said these words, the scriptures declare, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves, and it just ticked the religious leaders off like crazy. What was Jesus saying there? Because in the temple, a lot more things happened than prayer. I mean, there was scripture reading, there, there, there was solitude, there was silence, there was, there was you know, uh, there were sacrifices made. What Jesus was saying there, and he was encompassing prayer to maybe widening the net a little more than just what we think prayer is. We think prayer is we get down on our knees and we just recite the things we want God to do. How arrogant could we possibly be as the creation than to read off a laundry list to the sovereign creator of what he's going to do for us. Have you ever thought of that? It's like telling your parents, hey, I got uh, before you get off, get to work and stuff, I made a little something out that you're going to do today for me. Okay? How many of you do that to your mom or your dad? You know, Here's what you're going to do. And, uh, you know, I want you to pick this up for me. I want you to that. And, you know, why don't you take out the trash? I don't really enjoy that. Uh, you may maybe do that for years. Your parents will be like, what are you talking about? You know, they look at you like crazy. Doesn't God look at this like we're crazy sometimes? Isn't he a patient God? But we're taught to do that. I remember a Sunday school teacher teaching me to make a list and a journal and pray about that. And then when God does it, you can check it off for him. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray at all. Now, I come from a Pentecostal type tradition that is a little more contemporary than old time Pentecost. And we don't do a lot of the liturgy. When I went with my grandparents in the United Methodist Church, you know, they did the liturgy. Uh, there was some that I liked, some that I thought was boring. I'm finding myself kind of trying to get a little more, there's some organization to that that can't be completely thrown out. Saying the Lord's Prayer is probably a pretty good thing because Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you do it. And they were all like, we don't know how to pray. And it's recorded in three of the Gospels how to pray. And we're like, we don't know what to do. How, what are we going to 
afraid. And the disciples said the same thing. And Jesus said, when you pray, you do it like this. And prayer is about saying, thy will be done. It is a crucifixion of our will. And that's where real spiritual formation begins to take place. When Before Wendy and I, we were youth pastors up in the Northville, Detroit area. And God called us to plant a church. We were doing a study, and somebody made by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. Anybody familiar with that? And, and basically he says, find out where God's moving and working and go help him. Instead of saying, I've made these plans and I want God to come and, and you kind of help me. So prayer is about communing with God. My house will be called a house of prayer. It's a place where we connect with God. Where do you do that? Not just in church. I'm not a proponent of temple theology that says you have to go into a church to touch God, but I am a proponent for the community of faith in the body of Christ, and it might be good to go and join them in whatever building they so choose to meet in. Does that make any sense? We don't go to church. You are the church. And we gather together in whatever building or rented facility or building that the church happens to own is. That's not the church. We're the church. And God says, I just want you to commune with me. Where do we do that? Well, it's got to be more than the church because we don't go there much. In fact, that same Barnett group says the average faithful person attends church twice every six weeks. Twice. Like attends a service or a Bible study or something twice every six weeks. And they consider themselves super faithful. I've had people in my town tell me they go to our church. Like, I go to your church. I'm part of your church. I'm like, I know I'm, I might be a little forgetful, but I don't know. And they're like, yeah, we've been there. I was there like, what month is it? Like, I was there just like the first of December. I was there the first week. I sit over on the right side in the six o'clock service and say, remember me? I'm like, you got to do better than that. So if we just pray and commune with God when we go to church, that might not be a very good thing because we don't go all that often. But if we are the church and we commune with God whenever we can, now that's a different story. And so we can't just think in blocks. We can't just think in, in times. God wants to use us in prayer and grow us in that. My wife, Wendy, and we've been married 32 years. We've got three kids. Uh, she has a prayer life that you know, just makes mine look pathetic. She loves to pray, and, um, and she's my personal assistant, and so she comes to work whenever she gets there, because you know what she's home doing? She's home praying, getting ready for the day, and uh, seeking God. We have three incredible kids. They love the Lord. I think it's because, and I know it's because of her prayers. I usually pray when they just got in trouble. Oh, yeah, and help them not that they really blow it, but mom bathes all of us in prayer all the time. And really seeks the heart of God. So, Wendy, would you come up and just share some of your thoughts? And we'll do that. I give you my wife, Wendy Ellerton. What an honor to be here with you, and what an honor that you desire to pray. That you get to take your time, anytime, and go to our Creator, the Sovereign, sovereign Lord, the King of all kings, and you can talk to Him. No word is a mistake that you come to him with your groanings, your pain, your suffering, your heart that is broken, and he hears you. He hears you. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that you're complicated, doesn't mean that you're a failure with what you're saying. He listens. And then he gives us the opportunity to sit before him and listen to him. 
and he talks back to us. He tells us things, he shows us things, he allows us to have time with him. What an awesome honor that is. And you know what? I was just thinking this morning as I was thinking about prayer. Prayer has been taken out of the public school, but it can never be taken out of the hearts and minds of those that love Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about when the kids were in school and I'd walk down the hallways in public school. And I could talk to my heavenly father. Nobody knew what I was saying. But he was there with me. And he's there with you as you walk down the hallways in those school hallways, in the classrooms. He's there with you. And you can talk to him at any moment, at any time. That was just one thought that just really, you know, um, it kind of discouraged maybe your grandparents or your great-grandparents when prayer was taken out of the school system. But do you know what? It can't be. It cannot be taken away from us. Our time with God cannot be taken away from us. And it can become more and more precious every single day that you step away from the distractions of your life and spend time with Jesus. He's calling you. He's drawing you. He's seeking you. He will not stop seeking you. He is calling forth for you. I was thinking about, um, I, I was honored and grateful that I was able to grow up in a Christian home. My mom received Christ when I was two years old. My father came later on, like six months later, and gave his heart to the Lord. And um, every morning before school, I'd come downstairs, and my mom was sitting in the same chair with her Bible open, with a prayer, prayer list of people praying for them. What an honor and a privilege to observe that. But not all of us get to have that observation and that example in our home. But we, as God's people, get to be that observation for others. We get to be the example for others. Maybe not always. They're not going to see you every morning. They're not going to pat you on the back for your prayer time. They're not going to say, wow, you're an awesome prayer. That's not it. But they're going to see it through your life, through your with Christ, there will be times where you will pray a prayer, and it will be so impacted and passionate, because you've been spending time with Jesus, you've been seeking his face, and it just comes out when you're praying, when you say that a, a student can pray for you, and they're like, okay, and, and they have no clue what you're talking about, and they have no clue what you're going to do, and, and because prayer is so taboo, in a sense, out there, you know, they're like, all right, well, this is kind of weird, but when you pray from your heart to our Heavenly Father who hears every prayer and knows everything, you can have faith that that is going to be impactful for that person. I was just thinking, um, prayer guides us to our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we don't feel like praying. Sometimes we don't feel like we have anything to say to the Lord. He's not asking us to give a lot of words. He's not asking us to say a lot of things. Sometimes it is, God, I don't know what to say. And just sit there in silence. Because you know what? He knows us better than anyone else on this earth. He hears us. He sees us. He walks with us every day. And he knows. He's our best friend. He knows. So you can be silent with him. It's okay. I was thinking about the distractions that kind of 
because we're we are um, doing the emotional and healthy spirituality which I saw somebody's gonna be sharing on that and um, it encourages us to take two minutes before devotional and two minutes after and just be quiet before the Lord. And so many times two minutes can seem like forever and distractions come like crazy. But God's not angry with us about the distractions. He's just kind of wants to refocus us and get our eyes back on him. And we're not going to be punished for it. He just wants us to say, I'm sorry, Lord. I got a little distracted over here. Let me get back to what we were talking about here. And that's okay. Also, I was thinking of Romans 8. And so many of you are dealing with young people that you have no clue what their life is really like. Or if they've shared a little bit with you and how how hard it is maybe for them or how confused they are and you don't know what to do, you don't have a clue what to say, um, I think Romans 8. Likewise, verse 25, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know what? You don't have to have all the answers to these young people's lives. You don't have to give them a, a complete answer when they are telling you things and asking you, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? You might have to say, I'm going to get back to you. I need to pray for you. I need to spend time with the Holy Spirit because he knows you better than I could ever know you and he's going to intercede for you deeper than I, I can ever intercede for you. I don't know. You can say it in the words that you can say to these young people, but God is calling us just to call out to him the deep needs of these people, these young people that we... We don't have all the answers to their lives. We can show them our lives. We can show them how our prayer life is. And we can show them the benefits of that in our lives. And then leave that in the Holy Spirit's hands. Because he's interceding. He's growing. And he's seeking them also. He's calling them to himself also. And you know, um, when, when we were in there and they're talking about personal things and the Netflix thing, that came up. I don't know about you, but I, I'm a bit older than you, but I don't know <coughs> if you feel the bit of pressure when young people are talking to you about what they're watching on TV or Netflix or probably more uh, all those other things, YouTube and all that, but those things that you don't want to expose into your life and you're feeling the pressure of, oh my goodness, should I? Should I enter into this conversation? How do I enter into this conversation? This is the beautiful thing about the prayer. When you bring these people, young people, up to the Lord, He reveals things to you. He gives you a keen mind and a keen spirit towards them. And you can look them in the eye and speak love and compassion to them and not condemn them for what they're watching. Or not say, well, I don't watch that. That's that's bad stuff. They might not need to hear that right that moment. 
What they need to hear is something that the Holy Spirit is measuring in your heart to say to them. And that only comes through personal prayer. That only comes through a deep, deep groaning of the Spirit as He leads you and guides you. Your prayer life needs to be huge. So keep seeking the Lord. Don't stop seeking the Lord. Spend that time. It was really early this morning, but it was so invigorating to be out there bringing hands and looking at those women and praying over them. Looking at those faces. Some were smiling and some were sad. Or not happy that they were getting their picture taken. But God loves each of those people. And he knows them better than we do. And so when we lift their names to the Lord, he's like, I love that person. I love that person. Thank you for lifting them to me. Don't stop praying. Seek God's hand. And seek God's heart, not always his hand. But he wants to come for his needs. I'm not discounting that. But just because he doesn't answer what you want doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Or that Christianity isn't the answer. Or that God doesn't love you. He's a, he's a sovereign God. He'll, he'll do what he chooses. Regardless, Christians have tried all sorts of ways to trick God and, and make God say he has to do this. It's just silly. Like I said, when I grew up, my folks didn't know the Lord. My mom and dad divorced. My mom was just legal for many years. And actually, my dad bought the house next door when, when the old lady died next door, Mrs. Simmons. And, uh, she didn't like us, but we were there. But she, she died and she sadly loved the Lord. I'm sure there were many times Mrs. Simmons prayed for our home. And God answered those prayers in an incredible way. All of us know the Lord now. And so my mom moved next door into that house. My mom and dad lived next door to each other. And, and she was a spiritist. She was into astrology. She was into the tarot cards and futures and zodiac and all that stupid stuff. And I grew up with that in my home my whole life. And so when I first got saved, I tried to reach her by just telling her how awful a sinner she was and that all of that is a stench in the nostrils of God and he rejects her. She didn't seem like she wanted the Lord. I don't know why. I represent him as being such a great guy. Um, the Lord told me later in life, stop talking to her, just serve her, just love her. And so I would drive to Marinci, that's where I grew up. And uh, I was praying this morning that someday the Marinci yearbook would be in that group. And that uh, there'd be a, be a club down there too. I would drive to Marinci later at night. She didn't go to bed till late, do her checkbook, you know, kind of do her bills. She was getting where she could do that. She was, she was sick and all bound. I would find myself often just praying for God, giving opportunities to talk to her, giving opportunity to 
Tyler Bachman Award. You know, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that the enemy blinds the minds of unbelievers. And the only way those blinders come off is through prayer. I was talking to Gabe this morning. He told me he just came to Christ in June. Who would you say? You said, man? Mark. Mark? Where's Mark? That is that Whiteford? Are you in this, this group? I bet you Mark prayed for you like crazy. And the blinders came off and that day came and you were at camp. And I like to hear those stories. It's incredible. So as you pray, you're going to look at just praying for those you are ministering to first. In the will of God. It's the will of God that all people know the Lord. Luke 19.10 says he wished none perish, that he came to seek and to save the lost. So as we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, everybody in heaven knows the Lord, they're saved. That's his will here on earth, right? His will is that we be more like Jesus. And so I want to teach you just quickly, and then we'll do a little Q&A for Wendy or myself, just five or six ways that have helped me improve my prayer life and actually enjoy praying. And when that gets nudged out of my life or something that comes up or whatever, I'm disappointed at that. And that wasn't always the way in life, even when I was a pastor. I was like, I don't have time to pray. Meet with God. I gotta do what he, I gotta do his work, you know. And just find myself powerless, beating my head against the wall and not seeing spiritual results because nothing spiritual is happening with all my own my own flesh. The first way of prayer that has really opened up uh, my life, and I, I learned it 15 years ago when I first read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is solitude and silence. The ancient church fathers, they called the desert fathers, the monks, the monastics, they began to practice just being silent and quiet before the Lord. Now, like I said, when I came into Christianity, I, I got saved in a little United Brethren church, but transferred to a Pentecostal church and Assembly of God church. The reason I did that was I met Wendy in a Christian bookstore. I went to that church once as a guest, and she was there, so I decided I was whatever denomination that was. That's what I was. <laughs> so now I'm ordained and a leader, and there's some of a guy. But we're, we're loud people. Not as loud as we used to be. 20, 25 years ago, I was a little uncomfortable with some of the things that happened. But we were loud. We pray loud, yell loud, our services are louder, more and more. It's okay sometimes. But you can't trade that off just to not have silence and to sit and do nothing. And so the creative weird ways that we prayed last night, bravo to whoever came up with that. To be able to just ponder and think and meditate in silence what was going on. Maybe a few whispers of praise and thanksgiving. What the Lord revealed to you is you read his word. You know, it's really awesome. But in solitude and silence, we can finally listen because we, li we live in a very, very loud world. And if we're not, if we don't have distractions audibly, we have sight distractions, don't we? We look at our phones more than we talk to the Lord. We grab them before we even get out of our bed. And uh, sometimes we even lay them by our head, you know, just in case, you know. My kids hated it when I made them put their phones in the hallway when they went to bed. They were in high school. I'm like, because I know they were texting, texting their girlfriends or whatever, you know. So they just hated that. It was just like they lost an appendage. They didn't care if we did it anymore. That's healthy. It's still healthy. So if you look at solitude and silence there, if you flip your sheet over, you know, these are just some ways. So 
Psalms 4610 just says, Be still and know that I am God. When when do you practice being still and knowing that I am God alone? No music, no distractions, no nothing to look at. You just find a place and be still. And when I started taking, you know, emotionally healthy, it's just a couple minutes, I thought, well, anybody can be still for two minutes. And I was like, you can't. You can't be still at all. I barely get you to sleep. You know, and it's just sitting, and when we sit in silence, then the Lord can speak to us because we're finally, he's not trying to, he's not going to leap over the distractions in our life. He, he, the Lord is patient. He waits for us. And in the silence, he began to tell us things. My, my most creative messages have been found in silence more than in study lately. Some of my greatest ideas are to, the way things that I think about discernment, the things the Lord says to me about me, is found in silence and solitude. That is a Christian discipline of spiritual formation that will change you and make you more like Christ or be formed. And it's a, it's a great thing. A second way that might help you is called a daily office. Now we don't we don't use this kind of terminology now. It just simply means the work of the day. I get the book here. I got a rhyme reason this. So it just simply means the work of the day. And so the in Christianity back in the thousand or eleven twelve hundred, they had. Um, I have a prayer book. I think I got. You see, if my handbook of prayers in the good. They would spend a times of prayer throughout the day, and they called it the daily office, or what to say, the service of the day, or the work of the day. And so, it was just a few moments every day where they would gather their thoughts and think about Christ. Where we were, I was raised in Christianity. Thank you. That you have your quiet time which isn't quiet at all. We usually have our phone right there, and we're getting alerts. Turn off your alerts. Just turn them off. Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, it doesn't have a right to interrupt your day. Don't, don't give computers the right to interrupt you whenever they want to. That's not right. It's not healthy. Turn off your alerts. So put that thing away and just take time to focus on God. And so you do that. Not just a quiet time where you're like, oh, I got that out of the way, now I get on with my day. And we never think it got again throughout the day. Uh, so you can use your phone. There are some good apps on it that remind you to have a daily office. Or you can set a little alarm to be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend just, just three minutes, I'm gonna say the Lord's Prayer, I'm gonna think about the Lord. I use, I got this book probably 15 years ago, a handbook for prayer, and it's just a three month cycle of prayer. And man, this has helped me because sometimes I don't feel like that. I want to get going and get moving or I have so many things to do that day because we're just too darn busy. But this is, helps me take that time and after a half hour is gone in a matter of time, it's a scripture, you pray the scripture, you, you thank God for stuff. It's a, it's a cycle of prayer. I also use a Celtic prayer book. And, um, this is the Celtic prayer cycle tradition that is back from the 1400s. Just different ways you can do that. Um, a third way of might excite your prayer life or make it more interesting is called Lecto Divina. That, that is just praying the scriptures. And there's a lot of different ways you can do this. But we did this this year for our prayer and fasting week where we just 
read the scripture over real slow, six or seven times, not a long portion, just a verse or a few verses, and did your prayer centered on that scripture, which is the word of God, which is the will of God, right? Which is the words of God. And so, which is the heart of God. And as we pray the scriptures, we seek the will of God more than we even seek his hand to his heart. Does that make sense? How many have ever practiced that? You just pray this, read the scripture to pray it. Man, so much revelation will come to you from heaven. Prayer is a divine thing. It's not a lopsided thing. We pray, and as we are praying, God the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word, through our thoughts, through our impressions, sometimes through our emotions, which, you know, we don't want to be emotional, but sometimes I found myself when we were doing Let's Go to Bino as a church, and we would meet at 9 a.m. and noon and in the evening, that I was getting emotional just reading a scripture. And I'm like, what's happening here? I'm falling apart. I'm having a nervous breakdown. And really, I was just sensing the heart of God in his word. And we need that. We need that. that that's, that's what will really change you into being the man and woman of God who wants you to be. So you just silent yourself before the Lord. Again, no distractions. You read a portion of scripture slowly several times. There's some prayers in Ephesians. There's, there's some of the Psalms, man, I've been meditating on Psalms 116 and Psalm 6. Just Christian meditation, the real meditation before the Eastern mystics stole it. It's where you don't blank out your mind. You rethink and think about God's words in your mind and your heart. The fourth way that can just ignite you and change you is really praying the Lord's Prayer and taking time to pray that. Not reciting it, but praying it. Our Father who is in heaven, holy, hallowed, holy is your name. Are there some things in your life you could pray about that have to do with your holiness? Yes or no? The answer is yes. <laughs> right? We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be set apart for his purposes. Your kingdom come. I'm preaching on God's kingdom this week. I'm pretty excited about that. Your kingdom come. God's reign. God's rule on our life. Your will be done. Your will be done. You can rattle off a lot of kids, a lot of students that you know and your contact, and you will be done in their life, in their home, in the future. You will be done in their heart. And I know it's your will that they get to camp, they, get, they find Christ. I know it's your will that you open a door for me to talk to me. I know it's your will, God, your will be done as I go talk to the principal and ask for the classroom. Man. Your will be done, God. You can, you, can, you can just camp out on one of those statements. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, providing needs. We need more than just daily bread. Jesus said you can't live on this bread alone, right? But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and that's, that's what you're doing. You are giving yourself life, spiritual life. Five minutes? Okay. Okay, I'm not going to go through that. Five. This is from Ignatian of Loyola. He's the founder of the Jesuit priest. It's called the Prayer of Examine. And that's how he spells it back then. It's just taking time at the end of the day to examine your day and your heart. Becoming aware of God's presence, reviewing your day with gratitude, paying attention to emotions through the day, and what, what caused that, what did that. Taking time, you could slip in there a couple students' names. At the end of every day, you just pray their name. You could write them on a sticky note or put them by, by your bed or your phone. Pay attention to your emotions. Look, Choose a feature of the day and pray about it. Maybe you had a hiccup that day of repentance and sin. 
and then look forward and toward tomorrow. Then make time all day, number six there. Just talk to God, whisper to God while you're driving, while you're walking. Don't just speak about God in that special time in the morning, but throughout the day, God is with us. He lives in your heart. He is the closest to you. Therefore, He wants to speak to you. If you could speak to Him, that would transform who you are. Because what the world needs is the love of Jesus. And Christianity is good. And the only way that people will see that following Christ is good is if God's people are good. And the only way we'll be good is no one's good on their own. We've all sinned and fallen short. We have to be good because Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, we have just a couple moments to come up here. Anybody have any questions about prayer yet from me or Wendy or how we do it or practically or, or what we do when this happens or that happens or anything like that? How do you quiet yourself? If that makes sense. I have the hardest time with that. Just like getting my brain to stop. What, what I used to do is I keep... I keep my to-do list with me, my, my, my journal, I do bullet point journaling, I keep that with me. So when stuff that in my mind that I have to do, I find if I write it down, I won't act on it. And I can just write it down and it will be gone. But I quiet my mind by inhaling. I think we saw that a little bit like Jesus. I'm just saying, Jesus, help me, just give me peace. Just utter a few prayers. Just, it's like muscle memory for the sport. It's... It's something we have to train ourselves to do because nowhere else in this world are we trained to be quiet except in this food. Another thing, sometimes the Holy Spirit brings a name to your mind when we're praying. And so you start praying for them and you're like, oh, I got to text them. Put that name on a list and do it after you're done praying because then you'll get into a conversation. So you're like, I'm texting you because I'm, I'm praying for you. And then now you're not now because I'm texting <laughs> Good question. Practice discipline, and you'll reap all the benefits of that. Another quick question. All right, you guys have been awesome. Your lifeline is your prayer life. Doesn't have to be hours. It could be an hour a day, or five minutes. It could be those nice hours where you could be silent. But do some things in your life that help you um, pray. And uh, extend the heart of God and be your part. And you will do great things for the Lord and you'll give him all the glory and your heart to be All right?